Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. If you would, take your copy of Scripture and let's go to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'll give you a moment to get there. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we'll pick it up in verse 16. It says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarn you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is God's word for us this morning. Well, I hope you've had a a great Thanksgiving week, and uh, it is a pleasure to be with you. My name is Josh, and uh, I get the pleasure of of filling in today and opening God's Word. Uh, Let me me start us here. My sophomore year, uh, attending uh, attending Texas A&M University. Um, Amen, amen. All right, some some believers in the house. That's good. Uh, Just serious. While I was there, my sophomore year, uh, a new dessert place opened up right there in College Station that was serving frozen custard. Now, I didn't grow up with frozen custard. I understand it's kind of like a Midwest thing. I I didn't know. Being a Texas boy, like, we were raised in our house to know that, like, there's Bluebell and then there's nobody else, right? Like, Briar's ice cream, more like Liar's ice cream. Hagen das, Hagen das not any good. You know, like that's the mindset that I came from was, you know, that. But uh, while well, this opened up my, my sophomore year, and uh, my wife, who I was dating at the time, Jessica, we decided to go there. And we, we pull up, and they, uh, you order what's called a concrete, which is like a, a kind of a, a custom mixture of these frozen custards. And man, it was delicious. It was so good. And what struck me about frozen custard is how smooth it is. It's just this elegant smoothness to it. And it's actually one of the key differences between um, ice cream and frozen custard. Frozen custard, they uh, incorporate egg yolks, and that's what kind of gives it its smoother texture. I've titled today's message, Fill Them with Kindness, because this is one aspect or flavor of the fruit of the Spirit. And as Christians, it's essential that we seek for this to grow in us. 
my church back in San Antonio, we've been kind of going through this, and so figured this would be a, a timely way to end Thanksgiving weekend is to talk about one of these aspects. One pastor named Norman Bartlett, he says it like this. He says, fruit of the Spirit can be produced only in a life rooted in the Spirit. They cannot hang outwardly on a life like the ornaments of a Christmas tree. Fruitage of the Spirit requires rootage in the Spirit. I think that's spot on. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit should naturally grow in Christians. This should be the, the product of our walk with Jesus. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to make it every single day. But if you recognize Jesus Christ as Lord, man, the desire of your heart was that you will be fruitful. You will grow to be fruitful in Him. And so as we're setting the table here, let me kind of define our terms. We're talking about biblical kindness. How do we define it? It's, it's opposed to harshness or a crooked temper. It's a mildness of temper. It's a calmness of spirit. I like these last two a lot. It's to have a tender concern and to be ready to help with generosity. That's biblical kindness. I think if we could taste the fruit of the spirit of kindness, I think it'd be similar to tasting frozen custard. It would be smooth. It would be pleasant. It would be delicious. Not bitter or rough or crunchy or spicy. Not saying anything wrong with that. But I think kindness biblically is smooth. It's satisfying. It's delicious. And I'm telling you, our world is dying to try this. So how can we as Christians go out into the world and, and grow in this fruit of the Spirit? We're going to see three things in the Scriptures today. Number one, we begin with foundational kindness. Secondly, we bloom in fruitful kindness. And third, we believe in a future kindness. All right, let's get started. First, you begin with foundational kindness. Since today is going to be more of a word study, we're going to look at several different passages of Scripture that will be right up here on the screen. Let's look at our first one here. It's Titus 3, picking up in verse 4. Here we go. But when the kindness of our God and Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Friends, that's the gospel message right there. That's where we begin. We begin with foundational kindness, and that's the whole point here. This is where we start. It starts with the gospel. This is where our foundation for us to produce kindness, this is where it starts. Let's begin with this truth. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you are shown the deepest kindness possible. Somebody lived for you, died for you, and rose again to offer salvation you don't deserve. In Christ, there, man, there is nothing like the kindness of God. That's our starting point. That's where we build from. You say, Josh, let's, let's make it even simpler. Okay, how about this? Three words, ready? One simple phrase, know God's kindness. That's where it starts. If you want to grow in the fruit of the spirit of kindness, Start here. Know God's kindness. When the kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. You know, the world has its own ideas of kindness, but often it can be twisted or backwards or like a command. I'll give you an example. Um, 
a lady named Ellen DeGeneres had a very successful talk show for many years. And like one of the mottos of the show, she would always say, be kind, be kind, be kind. The irony is, many years later, it came out that she was very unkind to the people who worked for her. And it actually led to her show being canceled. So she would command it of others, but not exhibit herself. And now, you can actually go on her website and order kindness boxes from Ellen. Oh yeah, I've looked it up. For about $200 a year, you can get a quarterly subscription of kindness boxes delivered to your door. What's in those things? Well, I, I looked it up for you. You don't have to. It's like a journal. It's a candle that represents kindness or something. It's an oil or a lotion. I don't even, I mean, it's, it's that kind of stuff. Is kindness a branding thing? Is it a product? Is it a, is it a subscription box? Is that what kindness is? Is it a command that we give to others, but we don't live it out ourselves? Think of it from a biblical worldview. From a biblical worldview, let's, let's take a look at it. Kindness has an objective basis for all Christians to show it, and that is that we've been shown it by our God. It starts there. He's shown us kindness, so now, man, we all have a basis for it. That means it logically fits with a biblical worldview, and it's in total agreement with the gospel, and that it becomes a realized opportunity, not a command. Man, we get to show somebody a little bit of the kindness that God has shown us. That's what it is. It makes sense for the Christian worldview. But if we're just here by accident, if we just somehow bang and we're here and there, there nothing, nothing else matters beyond this life, then kindness doesn't make any sense at all. It only makes sense in the Christian worldview. So let's say it like this. When you begin with the foundational kindness of God shown in the gospel, kindness becomes an exciting potential to unleash. You have the opportunity to show others a fraction of the immeasurable kindness that God has shown you some questions to consider. As always, these are questions as I study and prepare these messages. These are always things that confront me first and foremost, so I'm not just saying, hey, you think about these things. I'm thinking about them as well. Some questions to think about. First, how can I meditate more on Titus 3, 4 through 7 this week? How can I get the amazing truths of these verses down into my heart and mind? Secondly, if I'm a Christian, am I celebrating the foundational kindness God has shown me? Does his kindness lead me to repent of sin and worship him more? The first way to fill him with kindness, man, you begin with foundational kindness. Secondly, you bloom in fruitful kindness. The next passage we're going to look at is 2 Samuel 9. And before we jump into it, I'll give you a little bit of context about where we are. In 2 Samuel 9, what's been happening? Well, while he was king, Saul hated and hunted David, tried to kill him multiple times, hunted his life. Jonathan, Saul's son, was actually great friends with David. But now as we come to 2 Samuel 9, what's happened is Saul and Jonathan, they're both dead, and now David is king. That's the snapshot. Now let's jump into it, starting in verse 1. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse 3, Ziba, a servant, tells David, 
It says, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So after some searching, they go out and they finally locate this young man. His name is Mephibosheth. Verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. Let's think about the fear that would be in Mephibosheth's heart at this moment, because it would be a lot. As Mephibosheth comes into the presence of King David, the fear would be very strong. Why? Because in ancient cultures like this, oftentimes when a new king arose, he would eliminate any of the bloodline of the previous king so that they would never come back. So Mephibosheth might very well fear for his life. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, David's calling me into his presence? My grandfather hated this man. He hunted this man. What is David going to do to me? Think about it. If you had to stand before the most powerful person in the world and they knew that maybe your, your father or your grandfather hated them and tried to kill them, how would you feel stepping into that moment? And, and in the stepping into that, you had no, no strength or fighting skill, no persuasive argument, no names you could drop, no get-out-of-jail-free card. It's just you, hopeless before a king. That's what Mephibosheth is fearing right now. So how does David respond to him? Verse 7, I love it. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Oh, that's incredible kindness from David. We defined kindness earlier as as a tender concern, ready to help with generosity. That's exactly what David does here. It's breathtaking to think about this. Gracious compassion from David to a man who very well could be his enemy. Let's think about the real biblical kindness that David shows here. We know it's real, right? Because why? David gives up his right to strike back. And instead, he blesses Mephibosheth. David gives up his right to take back, and instead, he restores lands to Mephibosheth. David gives Mephibosheth a permanent seat at the king's table, and he promises there's going to be kindness going forward. Incredible. Incredible. And what's the result? Verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. That's what it looks like, man. That's what it looks like to bloom in fruitful kindness, to show the world what godly biblical kindness looks like. That's what it is. But you need to take note of this. Hear me. David's kindness to Mephibosheth didn't come out of nowhere. No, it was laid on the foundational kindness of God. You know why we know that? Because David wrote this in Psalm 25, verse 7 and 8. He cries out to God. He says, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Look, he says, kind and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Man, David knew what it was like to come empty-handed and hopeless into the presence of a king and receive 
kindness that he didn't deserve. That's why David can turn to Mephibosheth and say, hey man, let me show you a little bit of what God has shown me. It starts with foundational kindness, but man, you bloom. You bloom into fruitful kindness, just like David does. We said it earlier, kindness logically makes sense in the biblical worldview. Well, we're almost there. Texas in wintertime. What does Texas look like in South Texas, right? Central Texas. Often we get a lot of these kind of days, right? Kind of dreary, overcast, rainy, and I'm not mad at it, right? Like we had a summer of, I don't know, 60-something days where it's like 150 degrees sun the whole time, right? It was brutal this summer. I'm looking forward to days like today and like this, right? But December, January, we get a lot of this. But then what happens in March in Texas? Don't you love it? Boom, right? Texas wildflowers. Just, that's one of the best things about being a Texan, right? Like just, yeah, our land just explodes with wildflowers. You'll see Texas people just pull over on the side of the road, drag their kids out, throw them in a field and start taking pictures, right? Not even checking for rattlesnakes. Just come on, Timmy, let's go. Click, click, click. Why? Because man, it's this explosion out of nowhere of this beauty, this color. It's amazing. In San Antonio, where I live, they'll, they'll be on the side of highways, like literally growing out of the side of the highway, the little grass, boom, wildflowers. I'm like, how? When I, when I see that, I, I think in my mind, I'm like, that shouldn't be there. But it's beautiful, and I'm glad that it is. Hey, man, that's what, that's what it should be like with biblical kindness. Man, that we could look and say, the others could look at our life and say, I can't believe you did that for that person but it's beautiful, and I'm glad you did it. David didn't have to do any of those things for Mephibosheth. He was well within his rights to ignore or destroy him. But like a Texas wildflower springing up on a March day, man, he brings something beautiful and colorful into the world. It's God's kindness. How do we cultivate this kindness? I wrote down a couple ways. There's many more, but here's just four ways to get you started here. First, remind yourself daily of the kindness God has shown you in Christ. That's a heart change. Secondly, determine, right? Make a decision. Determine to not let that kindness end on you. That's a mindset change. Man, God's been good to me. I'm not gonna let it end here. I'm gonna show somebody else. Three, you look specifically for the less fortunate, the less powerful, and the less known. That's a perspective change. That's who you're looking for. And then, man, you let that thing rip. You dare to bless generously. Watch, especially if they don't deserve it. And you will bloom. You will bloom in fruitful kindness. We could say it this way. Because David knew deep down that kind and upright is the Lord, he could also be kind to Mephibosheth. Let kindness bloom in your life by showing others what you have experienced by the grace of God. We took that one simple phrase, right? We said it earlier. Let's add to it, right? Know God's kindness so you can show and grow in God's kindness. Some questions to consider here. One, David makes strategic plans to seek out and bless people that many might consider his enemy. He shows gospel kindness. 
Who are the people I can reach? Who is God putting on my heart? Secondly, how can I be a Texas wildflower to those around me? How can I bring the color, brightness, and beauty of God's kindness to the people the world doesn't care about? And step into it. So you begin with foundational kindness. You bloom in fruitful kindness. And then, man, you believe in future kindness. It's not enough just to remember what God has done and to put it into action here and now. Guess what? It's essential that you believe that there's more in store. We're going to look at Ephesians 2 for just a moment. We're going to start in verse 1, then jump to verse 4. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, look at this. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here's really, really good news for you, right? We could say it this way. For Christians, there is still an eternity to come filled with more richer and deeper experiences of God's kindness. You will know his kindness like never before. That's awesome. Can't wait for that. Something good awaits you. Something good is in your future. Let's talk about Sunday schedules for just a moment. How did you wake up today? I feel like I should turn on like an influencer voice here. A lot of y'all been asking me about my Sunday schedule. Sorry. <laughs> Wake up with me and let's go. Oh, no, no. I'm gonna go and turn that off right now. Um, all right, what's a typical Sunday morning for me when I'm back in San Antonio? It'll, it'll work out something like this. I'll get up, walk three to four miles, get back to the house, Crank up the oven. Let's get some Sunday cinnamon rolls in the oven. Anybody else do Sunday cinnamon rolls? Amen. It's a godly thing. Get that house smelling right on a Sunday morning with some Sunday cinnamon rolls. Talk to me now. All right. Then we turn up some, some praise music, get the house going a little bit. Uh, breakfast. We eat those cinnamon rolls and we shower up. We go to church. Then we have some lunch. And then come on now, somebody testify a Sunday nap. Amen. 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 That's good theology right there. But here's a question that's plagued scientists for centuries. What do you do after a good Sunday nap? Philosophers have debated this. Scientists have studied it. Here's the thing. I've looked at the data. I've done the research. I've tested my hypothesis. I think I have the right answer. No, nay, I know I have the right answer. What's the right answer for when you get up from a Sunday nap? Here it is. Ready? Ready? A red pear, some blueberries, and a nice cup of water. Son, that will do you right. That will do you right. That is so refreshing. You will be ready for the rest of your Sunday. Oh, it's delicious. It's a pear, right? It's mild and sweet. It's not too crazy citrusy like an orange. A pear hasn't lost its mind like a grapefruit, right? It's mild, it's smooth, it's so it's gentle, and you, a couple blueberries with it and a nice glass of water, you're hydrated, you're refreshed. Oh, man, it's the right way to do it. You say, Josh, what about a pro tip? Can you give us something more? I can. Here you go. This is a Josh Humbert pro tip right here. Ready? Keep your pears chilled, keep them in the fridge, but before you go to nap, 
set one out. That way, when you wake up from that nap, it's going to be the perfect temperature for you to enjoy. Come on now, somebody. That's good right there. You can put that into action today. Apply the sermon in your life, right? Oh, man, it's so good. I love knowing that when I lay down for my Sunday nap, guess what? Something delicious awaits me. Something refreshing awaits me. Man, that's, that's the Christian life, right? Let me tell you something. This is a broken, messed up world that we live in. It's never going to be heaven on earth down here. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be trials. Your faith will be tested. You will walk through hard things in this life. We are called, we said it earlier, to be a Texas wildflower in the middle of the dark and dreariness of this world. But Christian brother, Christian sister, listen to me. There's something amazing that awaits you. The eternal kindness of God. Man, one day you will enter into the eternal kindness of God. He's got stuff he wants to show you. And he says, man, I'm, I, I, in the coming ages, I'm going to show you the kindness like you've never seen before. What? That's awesome. That's what awaits us. Believe in future kindness. Down here, man, it's the simple things like a red pear and blueberry. That, that's a small little picture of what's coming. It's a small little reminder to me of the deliciousness that's coming but it refreshes me. So here's the challenge. We were talking about Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. One chapter later, Galatians 6, Paul says this, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. There will be a harvest if we do not give up. In other words, let your belief in future kindness spur you on to keep showing it now. We started with the simple phrase. We added to it. Let's complete it and finish it off here. Ready? Know God's kindness so you can show and grow in God's kindness, and then you will go to God's eternal kindness. That's the game plan. Some questions to consider here. One, have I recognized Jesus as Lord? Have I turned from my sin and toward the Savior so that I can know his kindness now and forever? Secondly, if I'm a Christian... Is the hope of his future kindness a burning reality in my heart? Is it fueling me to bring kindness to others while I still have breath? We said today, man, the call is to fill them with kindness, to go out into the world and show the fruit of the Spirit. How do we do that? Three things we've seen from Scripture today. Number one, you begin with foundational kindness. Secondly, you bloom in fruitful kindness. And third, you believe in future kindness. When my brother, uh, two years older than me, was in seventh grade, we lived near Houston. And uh, on Wednesday nights, we would do like church activities and youth group and stuff like that. And uh, the big guys, the high schoolers, we, our church had a gym, and the, the high school guys would, would get to church early, a couple hours, and they'd play basketball before Wednesday night activities. And uh, there was a guy in our, in our youth group, his name was Jeremy. He was a junior in high school at the time. Jeremy was Mr. Everything. He was the homecoming king at our school. He was Mr. Popularity, football star. I mean, Jeremy was the dude. But when he was a junior in high school, a simple act of kindness, he volunteered to come pick up my brother, a seventh grader, and bring him up to the church so that he could play ball with the big guys before church on Wednesday night. 
I'm just going to testify, dude, my brother was annoying as a seventh grader. You know, like, why would you want to spend more? Nah. Jeremy, a simple act of kindness, just picking up a seventh grader. Hey, man, come play ball with the big guys. You know what that did? That affected my brother. Because I saw him when he was a sophomore, a junior, a senior. My brother was the one who would look for the, the lonely kid the one without any friends, the one who showed up with nobody. Jake would be the one to reach out to those kids. Why? Because of Jeremy's kindness. You see how it works? Man, you, 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 you extend biblical kindness, you don't know where it might go. You don't know where it might go. All in with this. There was a Frenchman named Stephen Grillet. And when he was young, he was actually sentenced to be executed during the French Revolution. But he somehow escapes, and he makes his way to America. And he gives his life to Jesus. He becomes a missionary doing ministry in prisons and hospitals. And they found his journal, one of his journals, when he died. And he wrote this down as one of his life goals. We'll end here. He says it this way. I shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do, or any kindness I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Let me pray for you. Father, God, I thank you so much for your kind heart towards us, that you would send your son for sinners like me, to give what I don't deserve your very best. God, we thank you for the gospel kindness we are shown through Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for that. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that, that they would live lives that display that for the world to see. God, I pray for some real Texas wildflowers in this room to come up and bloom and show the world what true kindness looks like. In a world full of hate and bitterness and unforgiveness, God, we will stand out when we live for you and by your power. And I pray for that here. God, I pray for biblical kindness to bloom in these people and the hearts and their lives. God, we love you so much. Pray you hear us now as we sing to you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.